everybody, it's Mark, and today we're going to be talking to comedian Tim Heidecker. We will discuss unique comedy styling. Comedy is so subjective, and it's not, everything isn't for everybody. Making stuff. How would you describe what you do? Um, I make stuff. And the value of a creative community. The audience for that show lives in character with us. So it becomes kind of this role-playing game. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Mark Summers Unwraps. So after a while, I wrote him a text this morning, and I said, we've been having the same conversation for 10 years. When are you going to get a chance to fulfill your dreams? And some people just don't have it within them to take it to the next level. And I, I kind of feel sorry for those people because if you have a passion for something but don't want to play the game the way it needs to be played, you're never going to get there. So it's about dealing with reality and negotiating with it to get what you want. You hit it on the head. you got to deal with reality. The rules don't go the way you want them to go. There are certain things that need to be done, and if you don't want to play by those rules, you may get lucky. You may become like Sylvester Stallone and finally get the lead in the movie that you wrote. But how many other of those stories have you ever heard that have been successful? Not many. Hi, everybody. Mark Summers. Today we're unwrapping Tim Heidecker. And Tim, welcome to the program. Nice to see you live and in person. Yes, thank you. You were very kind to have me on your uh, program. And... uh, we're we, doing a little podcast trading. <laughs> we are. That's going on a lot in the industry now, it seems, yeah. right? Yeah, I guess uh, trying to create little streams of communities and like-minded people and, yeah. Do you listen to any podcasts in particular? Uh, I listen to a couple. I listen to uh, Hardcore History, Dan Carlin. Yep, good. Those I love are it. big, chunky like com- time commitments. Uh, I listen to a Beatles podcast. Actually, listen to a couple Beatles podcasts, and then embarrassingly, there's a podcast about this show I do on cinema. Yes, that, I know about that. Yes, <laughs> that these guys have been sort of analyzing the whole show and talking about it, and I dip into that to hear what they have to say. Uh, and it's actually been really, it's very, it's it's over. Uh, how do you say it's um, it's too much love for the show, but they're also very smart. They got one of the guys wrote uh, the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He's, oh. like a, he's like a real Hollywood you know, screenwriter. And they have just such interesting insights on it that it actually is like helpful and, th- and sort of therapeutic <laughs> to hear what they have to say. But uh, aside from that, no, not, not too not really. many. Yeah. When, when uh, your name came up, uh, many people in the building got very excited that mm. you said yes and that you were showing oh. up, okay? So I want to tell you a story. And I need help from you today. Okay. okay. This is something I've never had to ask uh, doing one of these things. So uh, do you remember a broadcaster by the name of Tom Snyder? Yes. So the Tom's, Tomorrow Show. Tomorrow Show. Exactly right. And then uh, that went away, and then he stayed on the air doing various different variations of, yeah. of that theme. I loved Tom Snyder. And yeah, towards like the Tom end Snyder. of his career, uh, I was invited on as a guest. I was very excited. And at the time, uh, I was hosting four different shows. It, it was it was a good little <laughs> deal because it got me got me on the Tonight Show. It got me on yeah. uh, on Snyder, and he introduced me by saying, uh, "Our next guest hosts uh, four shows." He mentions them, and I stopped him and I said, "And and let me ask you a question." And he said, "What's that?" I said, "And, and you have no idea who I am, and you've yeah. never seen one of these." And he said, "You know what? You're right." That's you know? really funny. It, yeah. it, it was funny. So when I grew up. Comedy-wise, you know, it was George Carlin, it was Rickles, uh, Buddy Hackett, Shecky Green. I can give you the regular guys. When you grew up doing stand-up, there were influences, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I never really did stand-up growing up. but No, no, (laughs) this is true. But as you grew up, you did do (laughs) stand-up. So here's the question I have for you. 
I did a deep dive on you uh-huh. and uh, spent an hour looking at your latest special uh, online. Yeah. Um, I went to school with Andy Kaufman. Oh, yes. Andy Here we Kaufman go. was- uh, You went to school with Andy Kaufman? Yes. Uh, Graham Junior College, uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Wow. It was uh, Andy, a guy by the name of Bert Dubrow, who created Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and Jerry Springer, and Paul Fusco created ALF, and there have been many other people, but we all you know, hung out and knew each other. Yeah. I never understood Andy's sense of humor at all. I never understood his comedy at all. Uh-huh. I could tell you endless stories about me sometimes butting heads with Andy and sometimes wow. kind of getting along. Um, who were your influences? And explain to me your sense of humor, where it came from, <laughs> and and uh, wow. the crowds yeah. uh, that I watched who watch you are absolutely in love with you. Yeah, but I have a hard time identifying. Yeah, with the kind of comedy you do, so you need to help me out. Okay, I'll try. And again, I mean, it's not I. Comedy is so subjective, and it's not everything isn't for everybody. So it's totally legitimate that 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 you and many people. Uh, are not going to click to it. So uh, there's that. My influences, I would say, definitely Andy Kaufman. Uh, Why? Oh, it's just so interesting and strange and and original and artistic. And um, he was probably long gone before you got a chance to to see him. Yeah, I guess so. When did he die? Eighty something? Yeah. Eighty one or yeah. something like that. Very young. But uh, it was around. It was on TV. Comedy Central would show certain some of his specials and old SNL and um, and in college there was a a video store that had his uh, one of his specials that we kind of obsessed over. The HBO one. Mm, it was for PBS, I think. It was where he was sitting on this big. Oh tall yes, a very desk. tall. Desk. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. It's you know I think I I've been thinking about him a lot lately because uh, I hadn't really watched him in a few years, but. I started going down another YouTube hole of his, and um, you know, there's there's sort of this uh, cool um, awareness of of what entertainment is supposed to be that um, the audience clues in on, and we it's it's you know it's made for people that were that you know grew up or kind of were born in front of the television mm-hmm. and have have this very kind of deep, uh, you know, a deep media awareness that is getting exhausting and tiring and, and you know, there to be made fun of. So I think a lot of his stuff is satirical and making fun of um, what entertainment is supposed to be, you know. Letterman. And Letterman certainly was a big part of that. And that's why he gelled so well on Letterman. Some of his best stuff was on Letterman. Um, in fact, Dave's getting ready to do a documentary about Andy. And spoiler, I'm in it. I'm, uh, they interviewed me for it. That's why he's been on my brain. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. When did you do the interview? Just the other day. He also, him and Zmuda, his his writing partner, um, you know, what I, when I watch it now, I'm seeing two guys just making each other laugh and mm-hmm. and playing and playing. And, and I think that's why if you clue in on it or if it works for you, it's because there's a joy in watching other people have fun and watching other people uh, uh, be creative and experiment. The Tony Clifton character was the one thing that I really found entertaining. In fact, the first time I saw him, 
I was at the comedy store. I was sitting next to Will Schreiner, and he said, you know, that's Andy. And I went, Andy who? And he said, I had no idea. <laughs> it's really, even to this day, watching old clips, you can barely see that it's him. Like, it's such right. a great... And, it's, and, and Andy's such a great, was such a great actor. If you watch all his, all his stuff, there's great acting going on. There's great, you know, when if, if the, the bit where he's like down on his luck on Letterman, he's, he's not shaved and he's, his nose is dripping. Like, that's a great acting performance. Yeah, I mean, performance art, I guess, is what everybody, you know, mm -hmm. calls it. I mean, in many ways, Steve Martin does that to a certain extent as well, making fun of whatever show business is supposed to be. Yes, totally. Uh, I think the, the Steve Martin, who I love, is kind of the light version of Andy Kaufman. Like, he's still, he's giving you more of a access point, um, making it a little broader. That same idea, though. Were you familiar with Steve Allen? I mean, I was certainly familiar with him. I don't know if I would ever say I was like a fan or anything. But he, you know, all those people you just mentioned are derivative of Steve. Everything Letterman did somehow was rooted from what Steve Allen did. Right. And uh, Andy, through uh, relatives, was connected because he was related, I think, to Sam Denoff, who used to write, you know. So there's right. this incestuous so thing. He's a Nepo baby. Yeah, yeah. in many ways, yeah, a term know. that didn't even exist back yeah. then. Um, and But but Andy was peculiar. And the question I always wondered was, if his career, if he would have lived, was his career over or was it going? I, I think his career was over. When they did the whole thing on Saturday Night Live about, you know, if you want him to come back on and, and, and yeah. you know, I, I, I thought he was over. I, well, I think uh, I've thought about this a lot because I, for years, um, kind of used a lot of the same moves using irony and characters and um, confusion uh, to do my work. And I'm now, and Andy was like 35 or something when he died. Mm -hmm. And I think he's, he was just an unlimited uh you know, well of talent and creativity that I think the move, this is totally pointless speculation, but I think the point, I think the, the move would have been to like break out of that world of irony and do something more genuine or tap into what his great acting abilities or his, his love of music. These are all things that as I get older, I say like, I can't just keep doing irony and satire in everything I do because it's going to get exhausting and unsurprising to the audience. Well, he took chances, and that's what I noticed about you. Yeah. You take amazing chances on stage. Yeah. Does that scare the living hell out of you? No. Uh, I mean, it depends. It depends if if I feel like I have an audience that's uh, going to go along with it, then I can't wait to try and push them. But if I'm walking into it's you know if I wa I'm walking into a room of unsuspecting general audiences, there is a feeling of dread. Uh, I don't know if you know Scott Rogowski. He used to uh, yeah. host HQ, mm -hmm. and we were talking last night, and and I was saying that you were going to be a guest, and and he loves you, and he yeah. said you know great, but he also told me about a time where I, you had some I guess sixty year old people in the audience who had no idea what the hell you were trying to do, and you said something about, you know, the 60s don't, uh, you know, <laughs> jive with what the hell I'm doing up here. The 60-year-olds? Yeah. Mean? Well, that's, I think that's unfair because, uh, and I've noticed this, you you know, your generation uh, grew up with Andy Kaufman, grew up with Saturday Night Live and Steve Martin, and it might not have been your thing, but there's a generation that loved that. Yep. And that became fairly, I mean, the thing, other th not to keep going on about Andy, but... He's he was very popular, like he's doing the Tonight Show. He's selling out Carnegie Hall. Like 
he was a man of his time. It wasn't this, it was weird, but it also connected. So he got a lot done in a short amount of time. He really did. Yeah. He packed it in. And actually, when you look at what he did, there wasn't that much. Like he did a lot, but the act was kind of the act. Yeah. And there was like variations of it. So I was at the improv one night where he uh, started to read The Great Gatsby yeah. and cleared the audience. Yeah, yeah. And Bud Friedman, the owner of the club, was laughing and thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen. Yeah, yeah. So if you were tuned into what Andy was doing, you loved yeah. it and you got it. It's like when he did Carnegie Hall and put everybody on a bus and took them, you know, for milk and cookies. Yeah, yeah. Who the hell would have had the nerve to even think about doing something? Yeah, and then like pull that? it off. Yeah, and but he my did. my point is like I'm open to any age group enjoying my stuff. But and, and I think that the, those people are out there and they come to my shows and I see them and that is sort of the when I see an older person I'm like cool like that makes me feel good because I think those people. It should not be considered like, oh, they're old. They're not going to get it. Like, no, they're going to get it. They get this probably more than the than like Generation Z gets it. Who do you laugh at now? Um, who do I laugh at now? Man, a a Alan Partridge, uh, the Steve Coogan's character, who I absolutely adore, uh, think is really funny. Um, I sh I made a list for this other thing I did the other day of like my favorite comedy stuff, but I still love the Three Stooges. I still can. Just they will make me laugh. If me I too. Watch them. Yeah, they're so stupid and and <laughs> and the violence is so. It's funny to watch it now and be like, and as somebody that does this kind of stuff, slapstick and you know, like to see the hits and they're like really shockingly real looking. Yeah, and real probably. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so we had Paula Poundstone here the other day, yeah. and she's the only woman I've ever met who actually liked the Three Stooges. Everybody mm. from the female side. My daughter ever... likes them. Oh, that, thank yes. God for that. Yeah. There's just something amusing as hell about them. Yeah. Even, you know, I'm almost 72 years old, and yeah. I, I still think it's funny as hell. Yeah. So modern comedy is hard. I mean, I think when you do it, uh, uh, you know, I think you are when I when I watch comedy, I get too analytical about it and sort of too uh, kind of judgmental of it or jealous of it or whatever. So I don't it's I mean, and there isn't a lot of like really funny laugh out loud stuff happening to me right now. My the guy that's on my show, Vic Berger, when he makes a video that usually makes me laugh really hard. Um, so when you realize that it's Sebastian Maniscalco and Fluffy, um, and yeah, I'm not I Joe mean, Coy. These guys are filling up, you know, huge arenas yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But they're not. You're not tuned into their sense of humor. No, I mean I can see what it is and I can appreciate some of it for the how clever it is, or uh, you know, like Chris Rock special. I, I was like, all right. What do you think of it? I just didn't laugh. I didn't laugh once. You know, it's just a guy yelling at me. And stomping around, and uh, you I was know. disappointed. I've seen him live several times, laughed so hard I was in pain, and was, for lack of a better term, disappointed yeah. with what I saw here this time. And I, you know, my concern is, you know, is it the aging process or was he just pontificating? I about... mean, comedy, like the biggest asset you can have making comedy is surprise, mm -hmm. and there's been so much stand up presented to us over the years that you see all the moves you know and it's very hard to be like completely surprised by by somebody that will elicit that you know because laughter is is uncontrolled you know it's hard to pretend laugh like i mean i i think you do it sometimes well, okay. to be polite or conan o'brien yeah 
has the most recognizable pretend laugh in show business, as far <laughs> yeah. as I'm concerned. Okay? See, this was a pretend, like, that was a, my laugh right there, if I'm really analyzing it, was, you know, uh, to keep this energy going. Right. I'm, but, I didn't, for, I didn't, like, consciously go laugh, but it, it's not, like, the kind of laugh where you, you know, you feel you're uncontrollable. That doesn't come easy. D- did you like uh, Conan when he was doing the talk show? The uh, original show, yeah, I liked it a lot. I, then, grew, I, I grew up. Um, so probably what Johnny was to me, Conan was to you. Yeah, that felt like my generation's. Uh, I mean, I still loved Letterman too when he, they were on around the, at the same time. Yep, pretty much. Um, but yeah, I think when that whole switcheroo happened, the whole thing got a little like culty to me or something. You know, it was just a little bit of like easy man, like. I don't know. This is obviously a big deal to you, but it's just a talk show. You well, know? you know the fact so that I couldn't get involved in like caring about all. Yeah, that, that stuff. whole uh, Coco thing or yeah, whatever the hell team, that was. Like you're on a team now. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I don't want to be on a team. Well, anybody who really thinks that uh, Jay Leno can call up a network and say, "I want my show back," has no idea what the entertainment business is, is yeah. like. With all due respect to Conan, the show wasn't doing well, right. and NBC had to make a decision, and their decision, not Jay's, was to bring him back. Yeah. But then there was all that controversy and angst about. You know, Leno must be an asshole because he got uh, the guy fired. Jay didn't have that clout. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 well, I mean, I don't have sides on it because I don't care. I don't, it's not like it's. <laughs> I think late night television is generally pretty bad. You know, it's like pretty weak. So I don't. There's not a lot on there. Even even in the best of times. I mean, Letterman again. I loved early Letterman, and I love hearing him talk. You know, I care. I think he's one of the greats. So I but, miss him. Yeah. Uh, when he went off the air, I kind of stopped watching late night, quite yeah. honestly. You yeah. Know? There's nobody there who keeps me glued to the set so no, much. No, there isn't. You know, I mean, I watch Kimmel, but uh, it's just tough. I find myself watching House Hunters International. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I watch like old cooking videos on YouTube. Like, <laughs> I watch you really? old, yeah. And I watch like old, I watch a lot of old Carson too. No cause, kidding. Because they do a really, their YouTube. Uh, gets does a good job of uh, like just clipping stuff out and putting, you know, the best all, of the best ofs out. And so there's a ton of stuff there. And some of it's I mean, some of it's terrible because um, it's dated. Yeah, it's dated. But what I love about it is how relaxed it it could could be. Yeah, I agree. and you'd have like th- three guests on, and Johnny's he's not the greatest interviewer. No. At all, but there's a relaxed kind of you know just it feels like actual chatting. It doesn't feel just like rigorous and and programmed and rehearsed or whatever. And boom, you know, like move on to the next thing. We're doing the you know. So I like it's kind of it's not funny, but it's kind of relaxing. So you grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. and went to school in Philly or Temple, I think, right? Yeah. And and so what were the early influences that made you say this is what I want to do? Um, they. There were they, there was a range because I didn't really think about comedy until after college. We went my my partner Eric Wareheim, who I made all my most of my stuff with or a lot of my stuff with. We were both film school students, so we were into all kinds of stuff. We didn't uh, Scorsese and Kubrick and you know all the greats. Um, early you know Quentin Tarantino was a big person i mean i was a huge woody allen fan and, and still still no not at all you look back now and you look at his work and you're like oh, oh that guy that guy's just a creep you know <laughs> um, 
You know? yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> so, so uh, what was your major at uh, at Temple? Film, film. It was film. Yeah. So you were going to get out, come to Los Angeles, and direct movies. Was that the? That was the idea. Okay. Um, and so you got sidetracked. Well, I mean, that's what I ended up kind of doing in a way. I, I mean, we, I direct a lot of stuff, and I make, make, I've made movies and been in movies, and I came out. Eric and I both came out here to L.A. in college to intern. Um, for a summer, they had like a summer. Pro- they still do. Temple has a summer program to work in the biz. What was your intern job? I had two. One was working for this company, Working Title, which oh, yeah. makes really good movies. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, handing out mail and answering phones. Answered the phone for John Malkovich, or he was on the other line, I should say. Cool. That was neat. And then I worked. the The other side of the spectrum was I worked on a very low budget horror movie. That. I think starred um, Seth Green. Was oh my! It? Yeah, and Robot I was chicken. just what's that? Robot, Robot chicken. chicken. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, yeah, I mean, it was a great experience to see it all. But I learned, like, I didn't want to be a tradesman for the industry. You know, I I didn't want to take the route of production or, you know, no offense to any of these people because they're super talented and hardworking. But you know, grips or electric or you know, I didn't. I didn't see myself fitting in that world. So, came back to the East Coast and waited tables and worked jobs and just made stuff with Eric on the weekend. Just got the cameras out and and just goofed around. And eventually, that started gelling into some kind of, you know, sensibility. So the first major break was. Uh, we sent the first major break was we had compiled like ten shorts together. We sent our work around. I was at an office desk in New York just as an assistant uh, and made a list of like using the Internet, which was kind of not early. It was kind of early. It was like 2001 and uh, made a list of like who I liked. uh, And I think I and sent it to some like talent agencies, like literally a one talent agency, you know, because I was looking it up alphabetically. (laughs) Uh, and just made these, like, use the office, um, you know, mailroom as my little operation center. And one of the people we sent it to is Bob Odenkirk. Oh, nice. And Bob was, uh, we were huge fans of Mr. Show, and he was definitely not a household name. He was like, if you were cool you and knew who he was. Into, into comedy, you knew who he was. Send him a, a demo reel, and he uh, watched it and called me and was like, this is great. Who are Your you Your head guys? must have exploded. Totally, totally thought it was a prank. And then we just kept talking. He kind of, Bob, if you, Bob, as many people know, like really cares about comedy. You know, you like, it's his baby. And, um, and he hates a lot of it too. And, <laughs> and wants to see good or interesting stuff rise up. And so he became sort of our, our advocate in town and got us into a couple meetings and got us an agent. And at the same time, Adult Swim was kind of, are sort of forming and they were looking for new stuff and you were kind of pioneers we were kind of yeah we were some of the first shows that they put out that wasn't kind of made just from like cutting up old cartoons so that was it it all happened pretty fast i would say over a couple years from from sending bob to getting this first show tom goes to the mayor You've been a part of Adult Swim for quite some time. I had been. I I don't think I've, I haven't had any association with them in a few years, but uh, things changed over there, which as, 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 as all things do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Amazing. So uh, you're prepping for the tour that's uh, going off this summer. Yeah. How do you prep for that? Do you go in and work out of the comedy store? Uh, well, how do you do it? Because uh, that used to be the way. Yeah, I did. I don't go to the comedy store. They wouldn't. They wouldn't have me there. Really? Or they, no, that's not true. I shouldn't say that. I don't know. It's not my scene. Uh, there's plenty of like I would say alternative. This place next door here, the Lyric Theater, mm -hmm. is a good place. There's the Elysian Theater. Dynasty typewriter. There's Largo. So you, a lot of little more mainstream. It is, but it's. Uh, I don't really. I don't mesh well with like the trad comics. Is that a fair <laughs> thing to say? It what just does that mean exactly? The traditional comics. The yeah. guys that just go up there and and are you know your uh, main whatever mainstream comics whatever. I don't know it. I I've also been doing the act for so long that I don't really need to work shop much of it it's it's intuitive and i'll write new jokes i don't feel the need to to work that out i do the second half of the show is me and my music and my band that requires a little bit of rehearsal um that we would do on our own but the show we did this tour last summer and we just came back from europe so it's the show's pretty much like we could show up tomorrow and and it would i'd be very happy with the show you know so, uh, but it's always, I'm always jotting down notes and I, I, I I'll probably do a few sets at one of these alternative spaces this summer to, uh, try out a few things. But if it, it's the, it's the kind of act, as you know, that if it works great, if it doesn't work, that's even better. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's kind of like when Johnny would bomb. It was like, yeah, it was yeah, than yeah, exactly. When that would happen. That's, that's amazing. So you do what, about an hour when you go out there and do, uh, I do No, the comedy sets about 40 minutes, uh, 35, 40 minutes. And then the music's about an hour and a half. So the whole show is about two ten. So guys like you piss me off because you're multi-talented. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you what I was really impressed with was your music. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I sat and listened to that, and I thought, holy cow, this yeah. guy maybe should be spending even more time in that direction. I'm trying to. It's That's the big challenge of my life right now is uh, it's what I love. I mean, I love it all, And uh, but I thank you for saying that. Yeah, I know. I really— I take it seriously, and people are not sure whether they should. Why? Well, because they don't— because They don't expect it? They don't expect it, and they they they're waiting for the joke to land, uh, and so that might well sometimes not, it does, and sometimes it does. It's, yeah, it's not you know I love Randy Newman and I love Warren Zevon, and uh, those guys are very good at you know sending you into a couple different directions of of a funny line and a very sad line. So you mentioned um, the Beatles early; yeah. they were an influence, obviously. Oh yeah. Uh, what other musicians? Oh, I mean that whole genre, the Kinks and um, I like a lot of country music, and uh, I love it all. I love Pavement. I love, you know, Nick Cave. Uh, I love the band. I'm a huge Dylan freak. I know everything about that guy. Do you <laughs> really? Every, yeah, I've seen everything. And Have you seen him live? I've seen him live a couple times. It's great. I the last time he was in L.A., I saw him, and it was. Was he singing only the vowels when you saw him? No, he, he was good. He <laughs> he was like he was strong. His voice was great, and I think. Yes, there's lots of things to. I love making fun of Bob Dylan too, but why is that? I mean, he's just such a character. He is. He's a poet who kind of grew at the right time at the right place. Yeah, and he's an out. He's like my friend Vic. He couldn't get into Dylan for a while, and then just last week, he's like, I finally got into him, and I think it's because I can. I see him as like an outsider artist. Yeah, like he, he's he he's, was. Yeah, I mean, then he became mainstream. he's very popular, but even in his popularity, 
the moves he makes, the choices he makes are so different than everybody else's. Favorite Dylan song? Uh, not, none. There, I don't. I can't. I mean, there's too many. Too many. I could. I could name a hundred, but um, I mean, I like the a Hurricane Stone. song. No, I'm just kidding. Hurricane. Uh, yeah, Hurricane Live in the Rolling Thunder Review era uh, is one of the best performances I've ever seen. Just such a beautifully written song. Yeah. Opened up a whole new area, uh, which changed this guy's life. Yeah, uh, it took a while, but. You know, he got there. Yeah. Um, and he's still out there doing I, I often wonder what happened to his voice. Is it just age that caused, you know. C- cigarettes and, oh, yeah. age and drinking and. The lifestyle. The lifestyle, yeah. But I think it's like fine wine. I think it's getting, it, like, it is, on his latest album, I think he sounds fantastic. I haven't I, heard the I, latest one. i got to check that yeah, out. Yeah, it's great. I just noticed, like, I'm a, you probably are not a fan of this person, but I'm a huge James Taylor fan. Yeah. And uh, his voice was like fine wine until right after COVID. And recently, he's just he's just not sounding like James. Oh, really? Yeah, and I wonder, there are people on the comments after a concert will go, I wonder if uh, James was sick tonight. I wonder if he wasn't feeling well. Mm. I just think at, at some point... You're singing for 50 years. Right. It just can't hold up that no, long. No, it, it, it happens to everybody. I mean, I think it happened to Paul McCartney and, oh, and Paul Simon, time. you know, but that's but that's why Dylan, like, he almost, like, has aged into that voice. Like, that, the kind of music he was making when he was 23, you know, it, 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 it's like it took 50 years to get to where it actually sounds how it should sound, you know, because that's he's writing these kind of old blues songs and stuff. So since you're in, so into music, and I kind of am, but not as much as I have a feeling as you, why can't bands and people stay together? Mm. You know, the Simon and Garfunkel story. Uh, that's uh, my favorite story ever. I mean, uh, those two guys. I mean, they've known each other since they're like six years old. Yeah. And it seems right now that they truly hate each other yeah. more than life itself. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Art wrote a book which finally pissed off Paul to the yeah. point where they don't want to talk anymore at yeah. all. I guess he said things, but I think they've always said things. I went yeah. to see him on their last tour together, and uh, the first three songs didn't sound like Simon and Garfunkel, and then mm. they kind of got into the groove. But you could tell they were bickering on stage, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, Art, from what I've st- I've de- I've watched everything with those guys, too. I love them. I love Paul Simon. I think uh, I think Art, my guess is Art seems to be, like, insufferable <laughs> as, like, a person, you know? Yeah. Like, so, and I don't think Paul Simon is an easy guy either. I'm sure he's not. Yeah. But without Art, Paul wouldn't be where he is. For sure. You know? For sure. But Paul's done very well. He has. Since 1970. He's done all right. He's written some <laughs> amazing music. Yeah, yeah. And, and variations of various, you know, genres yeah. that have all scored uh, yeah. big time. Yeah. Um, so I heard a story. I don't know if this is true. Oh, but tell me. I, this is my favorite story about them is that when they reunited to do a tour, uh, the somebody said, what is... What does Art get out of the deal? You know, what's his cut? And they said it's ten percent. Oh my! And he's happy to take it. <laughs> wow! And it's that's like I don't know if it's true. I love if it's true because it's like, man, Paul Simon would be like, "Hey, motherfucker!" Yeah, without uh, me, you know what? I don't have to do this. Right? You want to do it? Come on board. Here's your ta- wow. here's your piece. But I mean, it's it's cutthroat for sure, and I I wouldn't dare do something like that to somebody. But, um, anyways, yeah, I th- th- they're they're a very unique example, I think. But I think it's just human nature. You you first of all, you very you you know most times. Let me think of the Beatles. Uh, 
you always start these things out of a sense of passion, passion yeah. and fun, yeah. and it's a natural thing just to do with your friends. And you do it, and sometimes you have success, and when you have success comes money, and and then you grow, and you want to do other things, and you can't always just always want to do the same thing as the other person. And uh, I think in my case, um, I think the with Eric or with other people I work with, I think there's we have the we have the history of that those first generations of people that have done this mm-hmm. to look at and try to avoid some of those those pitfalls where things can go really bad and you can go, you know, I'm never talking to you again, <laughs> or I'm suing you or something like that. I know, you know, uh, when um, uh, the Rascals came back for a tour. Um, are you familiar with them? At yeah, all? yeah. The young rascals. Yeah, young rascals. But they now become the rascals, right? Yeah, because they're not so young anymore. Mm-mm. And uh, I went to uh, see them on Broadway. It was such a good show. Oh wow! It it sounded like even better than I remember them. Yeah. But you know, it took them you know thirty five years to get back together. Yeah. Um, I think the drummer just passed away not too long ago. But um, some bands have figured it out. The Stones have figured it out. They have it's the Who. Have figured it out, uh, and it's probably due to them being like, "Here are my boundaries," and you know, don't I don't I don't really want to hang out necessarily all the time, or you know, those just making uh making it clear where you are in that in that group. Nothing more exciting. I mean, seeing the Stones live. Never did it. No, you never but, did, huh? No, I never. I missed them. Yeah. Uh, amazing. And I took my son. I was uh hosting something, I forget what it was, and the Who were there. And I took my son, he was like 13 or 14 at the time, and I had him in the front row. Wow. It changed his life. Yeah. He came up to me afterwards and said, that is the best thing I've ever seen. Wow. Because when you see that kind of performance, yeah. and I think that all these old bands that are slowly going to go away yeah. because they can only I mean, mix, what, 80 now or something yeah. like that? Yeah. How much longer can they possibly do it? Yeah. Who's in their footsteps? Uh, you know, not a lot. I mean, there really isn't, is there? Yeah, I mean, I there's a whole generation of pop stars that I don't connect with that because they come and go. It. Yeah, I mean, Beyonce and Taylor Swift, I guess. I don't really. It's not for me, not but for me. boy, people seem to love it. Go out of their minds. You know? Country, you mentioned country, which I'm I don't understand at all. Yeah, uh, who are the artists that you like, and and they seem to be around a lot longer than sort of yeah. pop stars. I'm so bad with names. Uh, <laughs> at your age, come on, man. Especially, at, especially with country music, because they all have kind of the same name, you know. <laughs> Billy Bob something. Yeah, huh? yeah. But you know, Merle Haggard and um, Waylon. Je- I love Waylon Jennings. He has this album called "Dream in My Dreams." That's one of my favorite records. And uh, um, what's his, what's the guy's name who has the? There's a show on uh, on on Showtime about him. Uh, Tammy and what's his name? Oh. Uh, uh, I know he's one of the great ones, and I always lose his name in my head. Yeah, I know exactly what you're um, talking about, but it, my mind's yeah, up on it. I, in fact, I just read about this. Yeah, his, he's got the raccoon eyes. Yes. Yeah. I remember songs more than names, but, you know, all the greats, Johnny Cash. and uh, I love, like, the country the uh, like country rock stuff, like the F- Graham Parsons and Flying oh, yeah. Burrito Brothers and and uh, and the Birds when they did their country record. Um but yeah, I mean, not like modern, again, not like modern country. I'm not listening to any of that no. stuff. So given a choice, you could only do comedy, you could only do music. I don't, I get, I love that because I don't have to make that choice. I know, but. And if... I won't. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, I, this is the thing that has come up in my head or people ask, because it's like, well, what do you like more? What do you want? I'm like, I'm just making stuff. Yeah. 
And sometimes it's going to be funny and sometimes it's not. And I think the audience can kind of sort through it. But I don't want to feel like I have to make choices because that feels irrelevant. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like I think there's more for me. It's like uh, I'm I think I'm re relatively good at both. And, I, and, and it and it satisfies different parts of my my, you know, itch itching creative endeavors. But um, you're a bit of a chameleon. And yeah. so how would you describe what you do? Um, I make stuff. <laughs> you make stuff. Okay. Yeah. And, Fair enough. Uh, I'm a, I hate to use the word artist. I'm an artist. Uh -huh. uh, but I'm, I love stupidity and I love um, making people uncomfortable at times. And, uh, but yeah, I'm still figuring it out. You know, I'm still like everything we've done has been like a discovery process of like, does this work? Does, will people like this? Does this satisfy me but you're the kind of talent but, if you're not sure if it works you'll do it anyway am i correct in a little that? bit of that yeah i mean i can never be super sure i've never i don't generally put out stuff that i don't feel good about that but you also tell me if i'm wrong on this you don't seem to care if they laugh or not um no i don't i care uh that i care I mean, I guess I'm not sure. You're an entertainer. You're yeah. not a stand-up. You're not a musician. Yeah. You're you're doing somewhat performance. I'm not art. looking to provoke people into not laughing. No, I'm I understand hoping, that. I'm hoping people right. laugh. But, but I if they control. don't, you don't seem to care. No, I don't. No, I guess well, not. That's, that's really bold. Yeah. Because, you know, when I started doing stand-up in, you know, the 70s, and I'd play all the comedy clubs in town, your biggest fear was bombing. If you yeah. didn't go out there and get, you know... Joke, joke, you know, laugh, 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 joke. You know, yeah, you'd want to kill yourself. You'd yeah. walk off stage and you go, I bombed, I sucked, I'll never work again. You yeah. know, all that major depression stuff that stand-ups go through. Yeah. I, and the, all the stuff I watched and I spent the greater <laughs> part of yesterday really yeah. concentrating, you didn't seem to care. Uh, and you did, you've got a lot of stuff online. Yeah, Some yeah. Some of it goes back 16 years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I saw the growth. Yeah. I mean, I saw you in a comedy club when you were yeah. obviously just starting off. Yeah, yeah. And I thought to myself... You know, I was there. What motivates us when we know we're actually not doing that great yeah. to keep going forward? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's very from that Kaufman place of like uh, I'm doing it for myself, and maybe like three people in that room who know what's going on and know what I'm trying to do, and they're probably laughing. Their their laughter represents twenty people or something. You know, like the, like if they're into it, that's even that's even better. Yeah. Um. I I mean. The the more people that do laugh means I get to do more things, right? But you're obviously not and having good, trouble getting booked. You're going on another no, tour. No, yeah, there's enough. I would. I'm always striving for more. I'm always sort of thinking like, well, this doesn't have to just be for this only this little slim margin of people. Um, but so, but I don't like. I'm not changing what I do to try to get that pool of people. Yeah, you, know you don't I mean? care about the masses, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. You've got a. a I'm not going to say a finite audience, but, you know, the people who came in and saw you enjoyed the hell out of you. They laughed like crazy. Yes, yeah. And 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 that's great, you know? Yeah, I mean, every, there's everything is so, I think the word is bifurcated or yeah. broken up now. There isn't a real big mass audience for anything because we can all watch our own little things or see our, go to our own little shows. 
So that's what's changed because there was no cable even when I started doing yeah. this stuff. So now there's streaming and there's YouTube and you know there's a million different ways to do this now. Yeah, so, to make a living. There are people who don't even do clubs; they just do the web. Yeah, and have a hell of a following. Yeah, you know, I look at a, a band like Fish, who mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't get them. I don't get it. I but mean, they just filled the Hollywood Bowl the other night. Three nights. Yeah, and and you could probably talk to. I mean, people know who they are. But they're not on the radio, no. and you're not going to see them on. You might see them on a talk show or something, maybe. But they're not in the. They're not in the popular culture. The it's way like the that, Grateful Dead. I, Grateful I never Dead, got yeah. that at all. Yeah. But you know, obviously, they were very popular. Sure. Uh, you know, for years, people would go crazy. Yeah. And sit at those concerts for hours and fish the same way. Yeah. So you and I obviously agree 100 percent on that. So uh, I wasn't married yet. I was dating my wife to be. And uh, I was working in a place called the Magic Castle, and I thought I oh, was yeah. just amazing. I thought it was really fun and funny and entertaining. So I bring my wife to the show, and I thought, you know, there's used to be this line at the comedy store, you know, a guy would be on stage and die, and then he'd come off and say, I killed. And we used to say, you know, he has laugh ears. He really thinks he's doing well, but yeah. he's not. So I don't know if that was my case or not, but I thought I, I kicked ass. Yeah. And uh, I went up to my wife-to-be, and I said, what do you think? And she said to me, You've got a lot of work to oh, do. Oh, yeah. ouch. A lot of work to do. And yeah. I, I, I said, what are you talking about? I, you know, no, this and that. And I, said, and I went, oh, my God, that was that was a wake-up call. You've been married how long? Uh, sh- now we're now I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> fif- six, 15 years? 15 years. Yeah. And your wife is a performer? No. Oh, I thought she was. She was. She was a, when I met her, she was uh, doing some acting. That's and, what I thought. And, and was on that path. And wisely, not because of her talents or anything, but she said, "I don't. This is forget not for this. me. Yeah, I'm going to do something else." So she's actually in school. She's going back. She went to college. She never went to college because she kind of went to acting school and all that kind of stuff, and um, and is now studying and and getting a science degree. But nice. we also have had two kids, so there's been like lots of stops and starts. And so, what does she think about what you do? Does she get it? Yeah. Oh, I mean, she's my first audience usually uh whenever i am testing something out or have a rough cut of something coming in or demos she's next to me in bed and i play her something or i show her something and usually get a good you know almost always i mean sometimes there'll be eye rolls or they'll be kind (laughs) of like oh my god that's so stupid you know but oh she's totally with me in that way, I mean, they, I think they have to be. Yeah, I, I finally convinced my wife. Obviously, I've been married almost fifty years, but yeah, uh, you know, you want them to love what you do. Yeah, um, you don't want them to roll the eyes all the time, right? Uh, but it's it's hard, you know. And your kids, what do they think? Do you you goof around they, with them? Oh yeah, I mean, they're, my my kids are really funny, and they they haven't seen everything I've done, but they get tastes of it here and there, and they uh, they started picking up on some old. I'm I think I'm going to show them some Tim and Eric stuff soon. That there's like a version of Tim and Eric, uh, the the awesome show that works really well as a kids show Mm because it's just very colorful and silly and um, and then that you can cut out some of like the sexual references and I mean not even there's like a lot of you know scatological humor too that would play great with them. There's a lot of diarrhea talk, you know (laughs) that always works. Yeah, I mean that's just (laughs) nothing's funnier than pooping, man. Ageless and timeless. So uh, so the passions you got comedy, you got music. And and film, uh, obviously, is another passion. Tell me how the whole on cinema thing uh, developed. Oh well, and explain to people if they don't know what that is. 
It's very difficult. I'll try it, but it's it, 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 the essence of it is it's a it's a parody of a Siskel and Ebert show. These two guys reviewing movies, but pretty early on, it turned into this soap opera where these two guys don't know anything about movies. They're they're two for very different reasons. Two of the worst people in the world, um, and it's it's this saga. It's a it's a soap opera. It's a uh, multiverse, you know, sort of thing where there's sideshows and there's uh, um, specials and and a, there was a documentary, a fake documentary that came out a couple years ago, and it's just a really um, special thing that my character is the center of it. Me and Greg Turkington uh, play versions of ourselves, and I'm sort of this Trumpian, uh, you know, narcissistic. Uh, is narcissistic a word, or is it just yeah, a narcissist? No, it is. Yeah, no, it is. Um, you know, uh, try selling get-rich-quick schemes, and and just a terrible guy. But uh, and Greg is just one of these kind of movie freaks who uh, it started out a little tamer, where he was just a guy that loves movies. But now it's become where he's like, there's something sick about this guy. <laughs> you know, like he collects them and he. Uh, it collects them in a weird way. He cares about the wrong things. He likes movies for all the wrong reasons. So we've been doing that for almost for over ten years now, and started our own streaming site uh, to to pay for it as a subscription only thing called the High Network H E I Network TV, and it's been going great. It funds it funds you know everything uh, else. Uh, it funds this this one season a year and a big Oscar special we do that. It's not cheap, and uh, we've got just a. The other thing about it that I think is really different than everything else is the the audience for that show lives in character with us, so it becomes kind of this role playing game. This if you get in and you go onto the the chats and the reddits and everything, you can like assimilate yourself as a fan of me or a fan of Greg, and you can and we interact with them and we interact with them in character and. And stuff and art gets made and songs get written and things like just this stuff blossoms over the years where you can communicate about the show in character. And I don't know if there's But the people buy into the fact that you are those people, which is not easy. I mean, they they know know that I'm not. I understand that. Yeah. But but they they play well. Yeah, they play well. And they've we view we started using social media, Twitter mostly to 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 like tell more of the story of the show so you, if you follow the twitter you you are learning more about what happened off camera and all that stuff so i don't think there's anything i mean not to boast it just is nothing like no one else really did that i think maybe there's other things but um it's really fun and we saw early on that you could um do this little show and tell stories in non-linear ways and using other platforms than just the show yeah no, it it's works. Cool. No question, yeah. it works. Somebody, I don't know this story. I was just told to ask you this question. All right. Tell me, I know it's show business and it happens all the time. You actually got stabbed in the back, somebody told me. Literally. Tell me about this. Oh, my. Well, it was a long time ago. It's not far from here, just up the street. Really? Yeah, on uh, on Sunset and uh, Talmadge. Oh, oh yeah, which, we are close. Yeah, very close. Um, yeah, I was living in this bungalow over there first, you know, like three years after moving here and, uh, had a neighbor who, um, had a son who was in college, who was living there. 
and it's he it was unfortunate he was like got into you know i don't i don't know what it was if it was pcp or angel dust or some kind of you know those you know bath salts remember when bath yeah. salts oh, were going God, around yeah. it was something like that oh man and she thought he was overdosing she it was 11 o'clock at night 11 30 at night she thought he was kind of uh dying and ran down to grab me uh for help i ran up and found he was not dying he was like an animal like you know with a big kitchen knife in his hand ready to go at whoever came up that that's those steps and it happened to be you and it was me i immediately ran back down the steps uh in my in my bare feet and pajamas and just was running like a you know your your animal instinct kicks in and you just flee, and so I fled into the street. He he came running after me, chased me about two blocks, mm. and uh, at some point during that run, he got me twice in the back. Good God! But uh, I ran into this great bar on the corner, gay bar uh, Akbar, which has been there for years, like one of the original gay bars in L.A. I think I might be making that up, but I know it's sort of like a landmark place but they were still open and it was raging with guys <laughs> and big you know bear stop berry uh big bouncers so i ran into there and they tackled the guy to the ground and good god took him away went to the hospital and luckily was you, you know i was received a bunch of stitches and took some time to recover but it was you know no internal organs very anything. lucky but it was very close could have been very bad could and has that affected your life, or has has that sort of well, been sure. erased? Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there was a period of sort of post-traumatic stress. How could there not be? Uh, with yeah, very, and it, it felt it felt good because it's like okay, I feel uh, I'm t I have anxiety going out at night, but that's natural. I was just stabbed, you know, wow. like uh, that's okay. <laughs> so I thought it, it made me like the the positive side of it was first I. Um, when it came to like dealing with this kid, I felt like, you know, I'm not going to press, like, I, I'm not going to press chart. Like, really? Yeah. Cause it was like, he was 19. He got into some bad shit. And what's the, you know, what's, what's he going to do? Go to jail and like get turned into a worse person. That was my first thought. So, I mean, it was, it wasn't just up to me. It was, you know, there's, you can't do that in right. society. There's, there's consequences. So what that. happened to him? So I think he went into a, like a, rehab, a rehab center, like a halfway house. He did some time, uh, that wasn't like hard, hard, you know, jail. Um, and nothing, I've kind of lost touch with him after the years, but I think he got through that. And so, I mean, when he came to, I'll say he came to. You know, he didn't know what he did. He was, really? he was just, out he was it. like, where, why, why am I here? What happened? Whoa. You just stabbed your neighbor. And it was, so that's heavy. And I was like, yeah. I don't, you know, I'd hate for something like that to happen to me. Um, but yes, we're all responsible for our choices and everything. But, and the other thing was like, I knew from that experience that, that, you know, you, you worry about <laughs> like, you have the dream where you're not running fast enough because you're getting chased. You're like running through mud. It's like no, when your life is in danger, you, you book it. Yeah, and you like, and it, it was like, oh, I wanted to live. Like something like you're there's a 
uh, an internal like like an adrenaline an thing. adrenaline thing yeah. that makes you sur- that helps you survive. But you so, had to be in pain when you're running into that bar. I don't think no. I think you're shocked. You're oh, yeah, shocked, so. and, and you're wow. I didn't feel pain for like maybe another twenty minutes or something. And that good like, God, God, but. Uh, yeah, Sorry to bring a, up the story, but somebody no, said ask, and I... Uh, it's not a funny story, no, but no. it's, uh, it's true. <laughs> oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, so it's been it's been almost 20 years, probably, so... But it's nice to got the scars. It's kind of, you know, it's fun, fun, fun thing to show people. <laughs> you and I have one thing in common. Uh, we both were on Workaholics. Hmm. Uh, I was on season one. Oh, wow. I got the phone call. I didn't know who these guys were. Yeah. And I went and did it, and it follows me forever, because that show was such a major hit initially. They show that constantly somewhere. Oh, my God. I still get residuals. I mean, 12 years later or something, they just, you know, the checks come in the mail. But uh, so what did you, what what kind of part did you play in it? I I played myself. I always played myself. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. (laughs) I played a... uh... A preacher, like a yeah, like a preacher, like a televangelist. Fun, like a, yeah, yeah. Nice guys. Um, Very. I always uh, I get parts here and there, and I do do, a lot, do acting. And you got a lot of stuff. I'm going through. Yeah. You know, I downloaded the 12 pages here. Oh Tell me God. about working with Sarah Silverman. Oh, Sarah's great. I uh, I've known her years. She did our first cartoon. She's hilarious. She's I always had a, loved her. A company, a business with her and Eric and Michael, Sarah and and. Reggie Watts for a little bit. That so we were in biz together and fun. Uh, but she's hilarious. Yeah. Drunk history. Uh, Love that show. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Easy fun. I mean, not easy. It was the doing trying to lip sync to that stuff is actually not it can't something be I'm great at. Yeah. <laughs> but that you know I saw that kind of stuff and uh, we've done uh, cartoon voices. You did the Simpsons. I saw. Crazy right. Uh, I and um, I did uh, the Cleveland show. Oh, that's no Simpsons. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah. you put the uh, Simpsons yeah. uh, above uh, uh Yeah, it's a, How about, uh, a Smithsonian level shit there. So, uh, do you have a favorite animated series? It would I mean, a... no, I don't. I mean, I guess the Simpsons. My, you know, what's cool is my son and daughter both, but my son in particular loves the Simpsons right now. He's all into it, and I grew up watching it. So yeah, that, longest running that, sitcom. It's, really, in, it's crazy how how. Uh, pan generational, it is. Um, it's fun doing that stuff, though. I did the uh, first time I did um, Robot Chicken, I had never done any voiceovers for cartoons. And yeah. I came in and I said to Seth, um, How long is this going to take? He said, Well, if you're good at it, you'll be out in the door in 20 minutes. <laughs> and he said, If you suck at it and you're here more than two hours, you'll never come back again. Oh my God. That's <laughs> but funny. I ended up doing a bunch of them, yeah. which was great. Have you done uh, any I Robot Chicken? D- I don't, I, yeah, I, uh, no. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> So tell me what's uh, coming forward to you. Uh, you know what? What's the one thing you haven't done that you'd love to do? Oh well, um, yeah, I've done everything. Uh, yeah, you really have. Yeah, I mean, I think just it's for me. It's a uh, it's a question of scaling what I'm doing now. Just scaling it up. Uh, that's a gross word, I know, but it's it's no. accurate. It's like d- keep doing what I'm doing. Keep going on this path, but just like make it. So uh, it's a little easier and or, or not easier, but it's just bigger and and there's more uh, support under it because, you know, we do this tour. Hey, I would love another, uh, you know, I'd love to bring on another roadie or I'd love to bring on a lighting guy. Uh, all this stuff is it all comes down to money. Man. Yeah, it always you know, does. It's just like, what is the how can we do what we're doing for more people Um and you know, win some some kind of award at some point. <laughs> <laughs> have you uh, have you thought about doing a one man show? Uh, I think 
uh, I mean, I I look at the tour I do, and it's not a one-man show because there is a band. Yeah. But it's not just a stand-up show, and it's not just a music show. It does feel like I try, my aspiration for it is to, is to make it feel like an evening of me. Uh, and that, so there, there's comedy and music and there's, there's moments that maybe might get you a little choked up and for, for, from laughing and from sort of the emotional side of it. So I think I'm doing my one man show. It's just, there's other people on stage. Uh, now that Andy's no longer around and you can still admire him, but is there anybody in the industry that you look up to and say, wow, that's a, that's a great career. I'd love to be able to do that. Oh, I mean, uh, I think uh, back to Steve Coogan, I think the, the character of Alan Partridge, it doesn't really play over here, but I love how he's kept that going and evolved it and made, made it, uh, and it's very, it's like one of those things where nobody here knows it, but if you're in England, he's like a massive star. Yeah. Superstar, um, but uh, so yeah, I want to be uh, America's Steve Coogan. <laughs> that's that's a great thing yeah. to go for. You know, sometimes when you you know dissect comedy, um, it, it, people would say it's not that interesting. I found this fascinating, uh, and you've educated me a lot, and I admire the hell out of you. Oh, thank you uh, for what you do. Uh, I would have never had the guts to do what you do, uh, but you stick with it. You believe in what you do. Obviously, other people believe in what you do. Yeah. But um, that music part of your life, oh. man, I'm telling you, I'm just applauding you like oh, crazy. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I'll send you the new one. I'm j Please. I mean, it's not ready yet, but um, that's my next... My next big thing is I have a new record that I'm trying to get together and figure out how to put it... You know, like, the whole journey of putting a record out is... got to be impossible, it, it's right? A lot. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we'll put it out, and it, but, like, what, what the cover's going to be, what do we... How do we describe it? How do we... You know, all the marketing and all that stuff... So, and it's um, all digital these days anyway, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, no, they're putting out records, like real records that people want to have, which is I nice. prefer to do that, you yeah. know? Back in the day when, uh, you know, you could go to the store and, oh, just, yeah, and just browse through. Just browse through. Yeah. I discovered so many artists that I didn't know existed yeah. by putting on headphones and mm -hmm. going, oh, my God, they're amazing. Or getting recommendations from people Smart in the store people that work there yeah i know it's, it's just great. so hard to do that now you kind of yeah. follow it online but uh when something uh sparks uh as your music did to me oh, that's so uh, nice. i thought oh my god you know uh it's talented in so many ways thank you I, I can't thank you enough for coming here thank you uh, for educating me about <laughs> uh comedy and uh generationally i mean yeah uh my kids are basically your age so oh, wow. you know and Although, because I influence them, they have certain uh, points of view, they go see shows, and I go, I have no idea what the hell that even is. Yeah, yeah. And so I try to be open-minded enough to, to learn yeah. and find out what other people are watching and doing. And you can do that by going down a rabbit hole online. But uh, thank you for letting me do your show. Thank you for coming and doing my show. And I wish you continued success uh, on the tour and whatever else you choose to do. This was a blast. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, sir. Unwrapping Tim Heidecker, and uh, we'll see you next week with more. Take care. Mark Summers Unwraps is a production of Believe Limited, created by me, Mark Summers, and Jessica Richmond. Produced by Keith Corneluck and Jessica Richmond. Executive produced by Patrick James Lynch and Ryan Geelan. Post-production support from Joshua Sterling Bragg and Believe Limited. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the show on your favorite podcast player, and if you really love it, why don't you leave us a rating and a review? Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Mark Summers on Raps.